welcome to this uh, Capgemini podcast on cloud security. I'm your host, Carl Cully, and um, this uh, podcast is part of a series, a uh, podcast series on cybersecurity. It's my pleasure to be joined today by Capgemini cybersecurity expert, Lee Newcomb. Welcome, Lee. Hi, Carl. Thanks for that. Yeah, my name is Lee. I sit within the Centre of Excellence for Capgemini's UK cybersecurity unit. Uh, my primary focus is on cloud security. I've been working in InfoSec since 98 and cloud since 2008. Outside of Capgemini, I've also chaired the UK chapter of the Cloud Security Alliance for around the last 18 months or so. Great. Well, thank you for, for the introduction. Um, and it's great to have you on board, of course. So perhaps we could uh, start off by talking about governance and ownership. It's often right at the top of the list uh, of cloud concerns for organizations migrating to the cloud and, and driving their cloud strategy. Uh, could you talk about some of the issues, Lee? Sure. I mean, they're definitely great places to start. Uh, unfortunately, it's not always where organizations adopting cloud actually do start. Uh, too many jump straight to the technology. And the problem with not having the appropriate governance and ownership structures in place, and by ownership, I'm talking things like ownership of cloud strategy and cloud risk, is that you end up with no consistency across the enterprise. Different business units will adopt different cloud suppliers and different security models. Now, I'm not saying that adoption of different technologies to achieve different business outcomes is wrong, by the way, just that these decisions need to be made within some kind of agreed governance model, rather than just by the personal preference of whichever individual is currently driving a project. Without those structures in place, you will often see duplication and huge problems with shadow IT. And I think we'll get onto that in a, a little bit more detail later on. Governance structures are also an issue for information security capabilities. Traditionally, we've had discrete centralized information security functions, creating standards, dictating what is and is not acceptable via quality gates, and then operating technical security controls. But in the new world, we see different approaches with security resources being embedded within DevOps teams and the centralized functions focusing much more on uh, standard setting and becoming more of a trust but verify function, more of a, a we will than a thou shalt approach. Well, it seems like um, it's the word flung about too often, I think, but this holistic approach, right? It's a, a nuanced approach that needs that an organization needs to make. Yeah, you can't just focus on the technology. And obviously, if you just focus on the governance, then you don't have any, yes, any services to, uh, to rely upon. But you have to get all the different stakeholders on board. So agree the process from the top, get the buy-in from your uh, senior stakeholders, and then get them to push that down onto the individual project teams. Okay. And, and you made a reference uh, there, uh, to shadow IT. This is an intriguing sounding thing. But as, as far as I understand it, uh, well, it's also known as stealth IT or client IT. Well, my, my knowledge is, is, is of course, uh, limited in, in comparison to yours, but uh, systems built and used within organizations without explicit organizational approval. It sounds a bit rogue to me. Is that, would that be accurate to say that or, or not? Yeah, I think it's fair. I don't think it's usually done maliciously, but, but shadow IT is where business users, users, or in some cases, business units, go off and procure their own IT services uh, without going through the standard IT and procurement channels. As I said, it's not usually done maliciously. It's just because individuals want to get on with their job and they'll see the standard processes as being too slow or maybe too cumbersome. And in some ways, it's very much a symptom of not having the appropriate governance structures in place that I mentioned earlier on, because if you've got those structures right, then people can go off and spin up their own services using those appropriate structures rather than feeling like they have to go off and, and do it by themselves. Okay. And what kind of problems can, can this uh, lead to? Well, I am aware of one global organization which discovered that they were operating something like 4,000 different SaaS services. Uh, 
Well, they, they, well. <laughs> they were aware of 400 of them. They did have 400 in their configuration management database, but that did leave something like three, three and a half thousand SaaS services. They didn't really know who'd done it. They could just see that data was, was going out there and that people were accessing those services uh, via the interwebs. Uh, so it is a massive area of risk from a GDPR perspective because it's very hard for organizations to claim control over their usage of personal data if they have no idea whereabouts on the internet that data sits. Uh, so, for example, if this is shadow IT and it's just an individual business unit or business user going off to procure a system, they won't have gone through the data privacy impact assessment process. They probably won't really be aware of privacy by design processes either, which just exposes the organization to that, that kind of regulatory risk. So could we go on to talk a, a little bit about, um, well, we would, I touched upon it, but some of the technical issues resulting from cloud security concerns and, and some of the the methods, uh, the latest methods, you know, uh, employed to combat these these threats. Yeah, as I just mentioned earlier, I've been doing cloud security since about two thousand and eight, and there are probably three key issues when it comes to to cloud that crop up with just about every client. Those are identity management, security monitoring, and the management of encryption keys. Now, the management of identity is key when it comes to securing cloud services. Uh, so, where is your master source of identity going to sit? Do you have an existing identity management solution that you're going to extend into the cloud? Or are you going to go away and build a new one from scratch? And then you have to start thinking about your privileged users. So how are you going to manage the identity and entitlements of your administrator users? And how can you keep track of what it is that those guys are doing on the cloud services that they operate? Now, the major cloud providers do offer native capabilities in these areas, but some of the terminology and functionality differs from the on-premises equivalents. So if you start thinking about Azure Active Directory, it's not the same as traditional on-premises Active Directory. Uh, so there's a really good example there in terms of the authentication mechanisms supported by, by both of those two products. So Active uh, Directory can do all of the traditional Windows authentication mechanisms, whereas Azure Active Directory is much more focused on uh, the newer web-style authentication mechanisms. Security monitoring is also a, a fun topic. If you've already got a trusted security monitoring solution for your on-premises kit, are you going to be happy to take an event from a semi-trusted cloud service over the internet? I'm seeing more organizations moving towards a distributed approach to security monitoring with initial collection analysis taking place within the cloud platform, but with key instance then being passed back towards the central monitoring solution that's uh, maybe on-premise or could indeed be on the cloud itself. Now, this approach also allows cloud consumers to take advantage of the rapidly evolving native capabilities. So you've got things like GuardUtah on Amazon and Sentinel on Azure. So GuardUtah is very much about threat intelligence, whereas Sentinel is pretty much a fully functioned uh, security monitoring solution based, based on Azure. Now, the, the last one I mentioned there was encryption keys. Many cloud providers offer native encryption for data at rest and data in transit, but the security of that encryption relies upon the security of the keys used to encrypt the data. Consumers of cloud services can choose to rely upon the key management capabilities of the cloud providers, or they could perhaps look to manage their own keys outside of the cloud provider, but then import those keys into the cloud to encrypt the data. This is typically the case where consumers have a requirement to ensure that the cloud provider staff can't access their data. I'd usually try to avoid managing my own keys as the potential availability outage if I lose them will usually outweigh that kind of perceived marginal gain in theoretical confidentiality. Uh, because the problem with encryption keys are if you lose them, then you can't access the data that you've encrypted. I see, I see. And what, what is the, the sort of percentage of, of uh, organizations now sort of re relying on these native capabilities of, uh, you know, Sentinel and, and, and so forth? Um, is, is it kind of burgeoning and more and more uh, organizations doing that? 
it's it's an interesting one. So you have to think about the different models that the cloud providers are taking. So when you start thinking about Microsoft and the Azure and the Office 365 capabilities, if you go with their, their top license, the E5 license, then you get an awful lot of security goodies thrown in. So you get a Cloud Access Security Broker via Cloud App Security. You get lots of fancy identity management capabilities. You get Azure Security Center. And that's all built into the, the E5 uh, license at that point. So you've paid for it. So organizations feel like they should probably make the most of that and go off and use it. The Amazon model is, is slightly mm -hmm. different. But what you do see is all the major cloud providers starting to step on the toes of security vendors, uh, be that monitoring, be that identity management. Uh, you'll probably see it going into other areas soon as well, uh, particularly around things like cloud security assessments, uh, where you can do things with uh, AWS Inspector or Azure Security Center to go off there and start doing the vulnerability management that you might typically go off and buy a third-party product for. So it's it's an evolving picture. Okay, so people uh, sometimes talk about cloud security as if it's a separate discipline to traditional security. Um, do you think that's fairly? Is that a fair thing to do? Yes and no. Uh, the overall principles of security remain the same. You've got to protect the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of business services and the data they rely upon. However, security models are changing, so we're moving more towards a zero-trust approach, which sounds very fancy. Uh, but it's essentially about uh, context-driven security, where you grant access to services on a per-request basis, depending upon the context of the user, their device, and the data or service it is that they want to access, rather than relying upon the more traditional static network perimeter-based security models. So cloud security also does offer us more automation and dynamic security capabilities than we've traditionally had on-premises. So there are there are some some differences coming down the line there. Got to recognize that there isn't necessarily that clear delineation between consumer responsibilities and cloud provider responsibilities, because if you, for example, went ahead and did an application level pen test, you might pick up the SSRF, but not really figure out how that could be used. And if you just focus on infrastructure level testing, then you won't really be aware of the risk that's posed to that infrastructure via the SSRF. So going back to that point you made earlier on about holistic security, this is a really good example of where you have to be aware of both the traditional security issues and the more cloud-focused ones as well. Okay, well, perhaps we could finish up by talking about the future of, of cloud security and um, something in particular that FAS, or <laughs> I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but F-A-A-S, Function as a Service, uh, Lee, am I, am, yeah. I, am I pronouncing it correctly? I, I tend to go FAS, but I'm from, I'm from the north of the UK, so my, my pronunciation is always a little bit uh, regional. So FAS is Function as a Service. So with Function as a Service, you're building your application uh, a function at a time. So you don't just have a single monolithic application set running at all times. Instead, you've got a set of functions that are executed on demand. So these functions could be triggered by events like the receipt of an HTTP request. So maybe wants to, somebody wants to access a web page, or maybe by a file being dumped in a storage repository or any other number of events. The different FAS offers have got lots of different triggers that could be used to, to trigger them. The key being that a function is triggered, it executes, and then it exits. And these things are truly ephemeral, uh, with a default timeout for Lambda, uh, Amazon Lambda, which is the best known of the fast services, to be honest, being around 15 minutes. I think with Azure functions, it might be 10 minutes, but configurable. But this obviously has implications for the security approaches you can take, because you just dump your function code into these services and, and they'll run. But you don't have access to the underlying operating system, so you can't install your security tooling into the, the host. 
and you don't particularly want to be adopting security tooling that calls out to the internet to do fancy machine learning checks because you're going to be time, latency, and connectivity constrained within these, these functions. We need to think about which security controls need to be embedded within the actual code that's being run uh, with instrumentation of that code to provide the observability we need being a key factor. So we need to make sure that the code we're running has got all of the, emits all of the events that we need to make sure that we know exactly what's happening with the, the functions that we're running. Great, great. And um, you, you touched upon uh, machine learning. So, so what kind of a, a role do you think machine learning and, and, and AI has to play in the, the future of cloud security? When you start thinking about the scale of the services that we're putting onto the cloud, in some ways that kind of anomaly detection that machine learning and AI can give you is going to be necessary because it can identify what's normal good behavior looks like and then call out events and incidents that sit outside of that known good baseline at which point you do have to have trained analysts go in there and make sure that this is something that actually needs to be worried about rather than being a false positive but if you have certain types of anomalies that you know are malicious what you can also do at that point is then automate how you respond to them going back to the the, the function as a service point what you can do is if you identify an event in the logs that you know is malicious, you can use that event to fire off a function and then automatically respond to that using something like a Lambda or an Azure function if you're working in the Azure space. So the AI and the machine learning gives you that ability to scale up without necessarily having to have lots more security analysts on board doing this stuff. Well, it's a, it is a fascinating topic. And, and, you know, I think that brings us pretty much to the end of, of the uh, the podcast. But thank you so much for joining us, Lee, um, joining me and uh, our listeners. Thank you, Carl. It was a pleasure. So um, please uh, tune in next time when I'll be talking to very special guest, Louis Dulaubert on Zero Trust Architecture. 